Welcome to Nodeworthy, the official podcast of Technode.com. I am John Artman, Editor-in-Chief. This week, I'm joined by Masha Borak and uh, Frank uh, Hersey, two of our two of our uh, uh, reporters on staff. So if you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, uh, you may notice that we're trying out a new format this week. Um, rather than, you know, being a bit, a bit rigid in terms of the topics um, and kind of, um, you know, who we talk to, uh, we thought it might be better to try something a little bit different, make it a bit more casual, a bit more relaxed, uh, but still kind of, you know, looking at some of the things that have have caught our interest and in, in things that we've uh, published about uh, recently. So this week we'll be we'll be looking um, specifically at uh, the M Tech conference and uh, artificial intelligence, and then also looking at some uh, real estate plays that uh, Tencent has been making. So um, so first let's start with M Tech. So Masha, you went to this big MIT tech conference that started on Sunday and went all the way into into Wednesday. So for you, I mean, what was what were some of the the big highlights of, of that conference? Yeah, well, the conference was organized by MIT Technology Review. So the the biggest point was that the whole first day uh, was dedicated exclusively to AI, which is not that you know, surprising. Uh, China has been in the center of media attention because of its AI efforts this year. Uh, but they invited uh, quite a lot of uh, interesting people to talk about different aspects of AI, including uh, business, uh, processing power. They talked about how will AI change work uh, and uh, what is actually the, the future of its uh, application. One of my favorite panels was uh, AI in the cloud, where they talked about uh, how AI calculations are going to be mostly based in the cloud which actually means the internet. So to process all these AI calculations, you need a lot of processing power. You need very powerful computers. And of course, no, you know, not a lot of people can afford it. Not a lot of companies can afford it. Even a lot of universities cannot afford this kind of processing power. So the idea is basically to use the internet to um, to um, <laughs> the idea is basically to use the internet uh, for AI. Mm. So that's why, uh, if you remember Andrew uh, Andrew Young from uh, from Baidu, he said that AI is the new electricity. So basically, AI will be everywhere, just like the internet, and uh, everybody will have. I mean, maybe not everybody, but like people will have access to it, uh, and they'll be able not just to use AI applications, they can also develop their own, you know, do their own AI research. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, it makes sense. But I mean, like, when we're talking about AI, I mean, like, basically, we're just talking about machine learning, right? Yeah, that was, uh, that was also uh, one of the points that were made. Uh, we saw a lot of, at Amtech, we saw a lot of uh, companies that were presenting their own use of AI, including uh, iFlyTech. They had a pretty interesting. Uh, they they had this really funny thing where they uh, where they use their translation software in real time. So uh, all the presenters were talking either in Chinese or in English, and iFlyTech's software was translating in real time Chinese or transcribing. Right. So I think like for all the translators there, it was kind of a worrying time. <laughs> yeah, I think in general, I mean, it's kind of funny because our. Um 
one of our one of our Chinese colleagues, uh, Wang Boyuan, um, you know, he's he's always kind of because he does a lot of translation work, and um, you know, his his point has always been that when he does a translation from English to Chinese or or vice versa, that he's trying to rewrite it um, so that you know it's interesting to to the the other audience, um, and of course his main criticism against like Baidu Translate and Google Translate is that at the end of the day they're just not very good. But um, you know, I've talked to you know some of some of our our teammates on the English team who said that you know so so as you said the iFlyTech translation was was okay. Sogo uh, their translation is getting better and better. Um, and I've had people tell me that that Google Translate has gotten much better um, from Chinese to English and and vice versa. Yeah, but it's the same. It's kind of the same example for all AI applications. Translation, like if you want to translate something very dry, like a financial report or a sports review, of course it's not. It's going to be pretty straightforward. If you want to do something complex, then a different thing. You're still going to be human. You're you're still going to need humans. So that was the that was also one of the points that were made by uh, uh, Professor Tang Xiao Tang. He's a professor at CUHK. Um, so he said that basically uh, machines are never gonna completely replace uh, uh, humans because uh, you know. So he said that basically that machines don't have the, the creativity for it. And what AI will do is take over the grunt work. So basically, these kind of bo- really boring translations, transcriptions, uh, all the dull work will be transferred to machine. Yeah, I mean, so that 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 idea about creativity. I mean, like it, it's really kind of interesting to look at some of the debates happening um, around artificial intelligence because, on the one hand, what we're being told more and more is that basic kind of jobs, jobs that require rote um, activities, so repetitive activities that require little thinking, this is going to be increasingly replaced by artificial intelligence, by by robots and and things like that. Um, So that really... You know, more creative jobs are going to be um, be be created, or or at least be be in demand. There's going to be more demand for creativity because machines can't do it. Um, and and in order to to really uh, flourish, you're, you're going to have to go into a kind of a creative field. Um, but then the the opposite of that is that we're also being told that you know we should be learning more STEM, um, so science, technology, engineering, and and mathematics. And so I think on the surface. Surface, perhaps it's it. They seem they seem to, you know uh, opposed to to each other. But now that I'm thinking about it and speaking about it, it actually makes kind of sense because in order to be creative, you have to know how to um, interact with uh, machines, either machine intelligence or robots or how to manipulate data, um, how to you know create the things that you want to create using 3D printers or using you know um, tools and hardware and things like that. And so it's actually kind of interesting to see that, yeah. see, see this kind of moving forward where on the one hand, we should be learning more about things that are, I think sometimes are considered non-creative, you know, engineering, right? That doesn't, doesn't sound like a very creative field. But then you look at, you know, the, this, this uh, global maker movement and there'd be, they're very creative. They're engineers, but they're like creating all these, all these new products. With all sorts of this, this division of what is creative and what is, you know, math, mathematics or science. 
I actually think that areas such as science and engineering are in their own way highly creative because you're still having to think of various different solutions to tackle a problem. Um, we just seem to be hung up on the thinking that creativity is about colourful things and music and art. And, you know, there's actual creativity every day in a science lab. Yes, then you have to repeat an experiment a thousand times to make sure you're getting it right. But it's, it is another form of creativity um, anyway. Yeah, I see like creativity, as you said, Frank, it's not just about colorful stuff. It's about actually uh, connecting things that uh, looking straightforward wouldn't be connected. So basically uh, to, to find something new. Uh, it was interesting because uh, like the second day they had a panel on blockchain and uh, the speakers were talking about how blockchain is uh, kind of a crossroads of different disciplines. So you need to know, you need, of course, uh, to have some kind of uh, um, IT, uh, IT background, but you also need to know monetary policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to know how to implement it. You need to have some uh, uh, background in economics in other social sciences so it's basically like creativity is connecting uh, different completely different things into something that works right yeah yeah i i I agree i agree um so so yeah you mentioned you mentioned blockchain i mean and you also wrote a little bit a bit about it i mean so was was that kind of like the i mean you said the whole day was devoted to ai but what it was a whole day devoted to to blockchain as well no no uh the second day was devoted to different fields including uh self-driving blockchain um quantum computing and uh, there was a panel on uh, on uh, uh, biotechnology and ecology but the blockchain was really exciting uh, there was uh, a couple of speakers, and they talked about. Uh, they didn't. They, they didn't pay so much attention about. Uh, sorry, they didn't pay so much attention to cryptocurrencies, which is, uh, of course, a big topic today. They t- actually talked about proper blockchain mm. applications, which is something that people are now wondering about. You know, does blockchain have a point? Uh, we haven't seen. Um, too many real life applications of blockchain. Yeah, that's the thing, and so I think that you know we've we've covered you know uh, you, you Masha and Frank, you you both covered um, blockchain startups and uh, companies that are trying to build blockchain applications, um, but we haven't seen much from them actually. At, at this point, they're just they're just ideas, <laughs> you know. Um, there is one that has caught my attention. I don't know if you, you've seen um, this in the news. It's, it's, we've not covered it. It's not a China story at all. But Kodak, um, which just seems to be something from entirely another era, has come up with um, a use for blockchain. And that's to create a um, photo library. But where the, as I understand it, where the photos are sort of um, tagged with um, a piece of code, which is entered into a blockchain ledger. And so you will always be able to trace an image back to its user. Um, and that could be a way for photographers to be able to keep tighter grip on right. their photos. And you'll always know how that photo, where it came from. And then, you know, be able to like, claim um, royalties for it. And then- well, I think the thing is, the thing is with that, with that type of application, um, this is like mm-hmm. the, the most basic type of blockchain application. So, um, you know, we've, we've been in discussions with a company called, uh, called Bitmark. We had, we had their CEO in, uh, on, uh, on, stage in TechCrunch. And so what they're trying to do is create a system where people can file digital mm-hmm. rights uh, for for something. And then those those digital rights 
are uh, registered on on the blockchain. Um, and so, I mean, I think that this type, like, like I said, this type of application is very basic, and we're starting to see it um, with with businesses who want to yeah. uh, track where something is or track um, where something has come from and and, and things like that. So. Um, and, and that was one, one of the things I was, that I was going to say is that, you know, you look at the, the applications that are coming out of blockchain right now, and mostly they are business solutions. So solutions, solutions for businesses. I think, you know, some of the, um, some of the stuff that we've ended up covering um, has been more, has been things that are kind of like innovative use cases on, you know, yes. for example, yeah. stock trading, um, looking at, uh, you know, companies that are trying to create their own, you know, blockchain platforms such as Quantum and and uh, and neo um so you know I, there there really hasn't been any like consumer facing applications and so i guess that that's kind of the big question is like as users as regular people when and and how is this going to to actually affect our lives and then of course um when when blockchain does become more ubiquitous will users even notice that um that there is a, that, that that an application is powered by blockchain um yeah so those are some some pretty interesting questions sorry go ahead yeah it's true actually most the blockchain applications that I heard from panelists are kind of, they kind of sound, I mean, I'm sorry to say, they kind of sound <laughs> boring. It's not something that, <laughs> it's not something that's like super spectacular. Um, like Brian Bollendorf from iPolarger, he was talking about how blockchain could help uh, reform uh, uh, land titles. So basically like before, uh, how would you mark your property? I mean, how would you uh, register your property? You had a piece of paper and that was it. And then later on, uh, government started putting that into computers. But the thing is, actually, when you have a register in the computer, yeah. somebody can manipulate it very easily. So blockchain could kind of solve that. I mean, it's not that exciting. Yeah. He also said that, like, for China, uh, the biggest thing blockchain could bring is uh, change the supply chain so that... Uh, all the goods are traceable, so if there's a problem with the quality, uh, as we know in China, this, these things do happen. Uh, so this could be something that really changes that. But yeah, on, on some other levels, it, you know, talking about uh, property registration and supply chains, it's, it's really, you know, not that... No, I suppose it's a, it's a gradual shift to, um, you know, improving, you know, lots of different elements of life. Um, you know, we get we get carried away about yeah, a sort of a blockchain vision. revolution, but um, maybe it's going to be a more gradual um, change just in the way that, you know, the way that everything became somehow connected to or there was an internet involvement in all aspects of our life. Maybe blockchain will just sort of start to um, flow through everything. Right, right. And I, I think that that's, I mean, like, yeah. so, so I think that's basically what what we're going through right now is that everything is speculation um and there there are you know out of out of let's say a hundred mm -hmm. projects or companies there's maybe five percent that mm -hmm. that are going to survive past like the two-year mark um either because they're shysters and they know it mm -hmm. or because that there really isn't a business model there um, and and so the real applications that that are gaining traction that actually do have uh, an immediate application or an immediate use case are these you know things that as you guys were saying are boring a bit basic um, but they solve real problems right and 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 they're able then they introduce um, efficiencies yeah. that would not be available otherwise um, so efficiencies but then also. 
um, what's a what's what's a, what's a good word? Um, the efficiencies and protected information. So you know, I mean, so obviously there's still the 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 weak link in terms of the humans entering the data, right? So, but 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 if you trust the data entry, then you can trust you can trust all the information about a product or about um, a, a house or about you know whatever you could possibly think of because that data um, can never be changed or if it is changed there's there's an indelible record of that change um, and so that's that that's really that's really the, the the biggest again boring application I mean but at the same time you think about the implications of all that I mean imagine imagine in 10 years mm-hmm. you know you guys you guys rent rent apartments um, you know my, my wife and I we own our apartment but imagine as a renter you know going going on Zeru or going on Lianjia looking for looking for an apartment you see you see one on the platform that you think is 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 kind of nice and then you're able to go there check it out uh, verify ver- you know you're able to see that you know uh, that that it is a certain size it's been around for a certain time um, it's had these problems. This, this, this has been fixed. You've all been able to see that in the app. You go there and you say, okay, yeah, I can, I can live here. You, 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 you know, you, um, you connect, you connect your, your blockchain wallet to, to, uh, to, uh, Lianjia's, um, service and, you know, you press, press a button mm-hmm. and now you're officially legally renting, you know, in, 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 in the space of five seconds, you're able, you're able to do that. Uh, because the, the, how the, the apartment is not only the, the renovations, the, the, the building, the structure, it's not all, all that information is not only uh, listed on the blockchain, but it's connected uh, to, you know, um, to to your bank, to the the uh, the property owner's bank, to um, the uh, local house registration authority. Um, and so to, you know, all the, the, the whatever authority is uh, in charge of um, you know approving contracts and things like that, and so like these these what we call very boring. I mean, like actually, in in ten years time, it's it's going to be um, you know cre- it's going to create so much more. It's going to improve. It's going to increase the velocity of transaction. You know, exponentially. The thing is, blockchain is going to also enable us to do some new things. So, uh, Bellendorf also talked about tokenization, which is kind of different from what we had before. So he believes that in the future we're going to be able to token tokenize many assets, both virtual and real. So we are going to be able to exchange that and move these assets very quickly. Um, so it's kind of hard now to imagine how this might be. We're just getting a glimpse, a glimpse of it now. And now all we saw from tokens was actually speculation. But in the future, this might actually work as something more useful than speculation. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and and I think that the the power of the tech of the technology is such that at some point it will move beyond speculation. And I think that actually this year, um, my sense is that this year is when we're probably going to move past it um, because there's just it's just mm. it's so saturated right now with the with the amount of BS on the market. Um, and and it's just I mean the people that are getting into it are getting into it um, solely for the purpose of, of speculation. Um, you know, I've been getting ads on YouTube from a guy talking mm. about why yeah. I should get into crypto. And it's like, if that's yeah. happening, <laughs> it's probably it's probably over. It's going to be over soon. Yeah, I know. Um, I've, been oh, getting, cool. I've, I've been getting, uh, I've been getting uh, advertisements for that everywhere. So exactly. I, I think my grandma is getting those too. <laughs> Um, well, cool. So, yeah, one of the other things that that, that we wanted to talk about um, for for this week was looking at some of the uh, the major moves from uh, from Ten Cent uh, offline. 
Um, and so, you know, we've, mm. we've, we've covered a lot on TechNode about unmanned stores. Um, we've covered a lot about kind of obviously what WeChat is doing, but then also what, uh, what, we, what, um, what Jingdong is doing with some of their delivery services and, and things like that. And then just this week, um, Tencent uh, and a few other companies announced that they are investing very heavily into uh, Wanda, which is a real estate uh, development and, and management company. Mm. Turns out they also own AMC theaters that they bought a couple years ago. Um, but this is this is just after um, Tencent, JD, and Carrefour announce a really big um, cooperation for um, for for groceries uh, and grocery e-commerce, and and that came after, you know, the uh, the opening of the of WeChat's first um, offline store, and so it's kind of interesting to see how all of these announcements are are lining up together, um, and you know, it's it's funny too because uh, Alibaba has been the one really um, pioneering hearing this uh, new retail. And in fact, it's a term that that Jack Ma himself uh, coined. But it seems that with all these recent announcements that actually Tencent might be better positioned well, to yes, take advantage of this Tencent's trend somehow. A lot of the sort of speculation of Tencent's future in physical retail it seems to be based on their success with WeChat and amassing huge amounts of um, WeChat Pay users. Um, and then whether or not they can then funnel them into um, bricks and mortar stores or you know like a hybrid new retail area um because it seems that in terms of competition it really is 10 cent versus alibaba in so many sectors now and it's as though they're, they're they're almost saturated in some of their existing um areas i mean um unless alibaba really starts going into gaming in a big way um so we can see that they're they're competing in every area and it's like it's like retail and i should specify you know bricks and mortar retail it's like as a, a, a new frontier for um for them both to sort of try and grab market share and it seems that Alibaba was ahead um, in terms of diversifying into the real world and um and now Tencent's trying to catch up with all these, you know, the um, buying into Yonghui, the supermarket chain here in China, and then Carrefour, and most recently, Wanda. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's really kind of interesting because you look at the the e-commerce space um and alibaba obviously they're 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 ahead or they're they're the first mover when it comes to e-commerce but then jd is a very close second and 10 cent is actually behind jd and so a lot of a lot of like the the tie-ups mm. with uh with yonghui and with uh with uh carrefour you know it's it's 10 cent in the background um 10 cent is also taking part in these discussions um also participating in funding rounds um, and, you know, so, so again, it's just kind of really, really interesting to see how active Tencent is becoming, becoming in this, in this area. Yeah. And I think it might be worth pointing out, um, maybe for listeners who aren't in or haven't been to China, what Chinese malls are like, because Wandai is yeah. a huge mall owner and developer. And, um, this is what the, the, the latest deal is with Tencent is to get into the, well, um, along with, along mm-hmm. with JD and Suning is to invest in these malls because you know i've been coming to china for years and spent years here and malls have always been a little bit of um a mystery to me how they sort of survive um and really what the business plan is and you know i've spoken to people about how it's um really it's it's just land Mm. speculation and it's a way of like buying land and if you invest in a mall then the government will you know come in and help um 
with sort of infrastructure and stuff. Um, but they're always a little bit soulless, and there's never it's the only activity is in is in the food court and the sort of you know the pharmacy Watsons and those sorts of shops seem to have a good trade. But the remaining floors of actual stores, it's I've never quite worked out what's really going on there. You know, there's the argument that all the designer labels that you seem to see in them they're there as a sort of um, changing rooms for Chinese people to try on the clothes, and then when they head abroad, they'll they'll buy them there where they're cheap. Right. Um, well, I um, someone someone told me um, someone who used to work in the luxury industry. Um, one of the things that, that that he mentioned. So this is a few years ago, and so obviously this might have changed since then. But this was um, maybe 2015, 2016. He mentioned to me that in a lot of these these malls, um, the mall the space owner will pay, uh, and in particular luxury brands, they will pay the luxury brands to open a store there. Um, and so the, the big question is, of course, then how profitable are some of mm. these malls? Um, and I think that, that Wanda's problems are not just malls, um, but uh, or, or you know the profitability of them. Uh, Wanda's big problem has been overseas yeah. expansion. Uh, the yeah. debt that they've had to take on to do that, very similar to what we've seen with HNA, so uh, Hainan, Hainan Airlines. Um, and it's just kind of, I mean, like, just going to tangent for one second, it's just been really crazy to see what's happened with them because they've been um, expanding so aggressively. Uh, and now and now it's really biting them in the ass as they as they they're actually unable to uh, to pay their mm-hmm. employees. They're unable to pay to, to actually service any of their debt. But anyway, so with Wanda, Wanda was a little bit of that. But then also um, it does seem that some some of their problems have been political uh, as well. Some Something happened where his you know patrons in, in the central government is uh, no longer able to yeah. uh, help him for, for whatever reason. Um, and there's also been tightening capital controls, which means that that Wanda's um, – Overseas activity has has uh, curtailed to, to a very very high degree, um, but again, I mean, you know, it it makes sense as these as technology companies are becoming the leaders of an economy. It makes sense for them to start looking at things in in other areas that aren't traditionally seen as. Um, technology based um and in particular with oduo offline offline to online and also 10 cent strategy with Mm. their mini programs uh and with we wechat pay um be to be able to own the entry point the retail entry point the the business entry point for mini programs and for wechat pay to a certain degree makes makes a lot of sense um it's just not entirely clear what they plan to do with these models right um, I, I actually, for the first time yesterday, I saw two Jingdong stores in Beijing. I mean, obviously, I, I'd read about them. I haven't actually seen any myself. And I, I saw two, two in one night, one of them in a mall. And it's still a little bit confusing what it's actually trying to do there. So I think we'll have to wait and see what um, the likes of Tencent and JD actually do with the, with these malls and with Wanda. Um, but I think it's an interesting contrast to this sort of ongoing duopoly and we've seen them pushing into Southeast Asia and India um, but it seems like they're still managing to find new sort of frontiers to to go into battle here in Mm, China. Definitely. Definitely. Masha, did you want to add anything? Uh, Yeah, well, I read an interesting report comparing uh, Alibaba and Tencent done by uh, Bloomberg. So basically Tencent is doing a lot better because Alibaba spent so much money uh, this last year, 2017, on on what, what they called new retail so they invested heavily in uh, in offline 
offline commerce and in online sword. So actually, th- this year they're not doing that mm. great, but they're still doing pretty good. Yeah, I mean, and 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 you know, I think that um, Singles Day kind of hype is is calmed down quite a bit. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, like like the next battlefield really is this this kind of um, not not really new retail, but it is invading the offline world um, and and capitalizing on um, the ability to deliver offline goods and services um, as as quickly and efficiently as, as as possible, and then connect that to online services. Um, so so yeah, I mean it's it's super interesting to see this. I mean you you, you got to admit, I mean like try and th- this couldn't happen anywhere else. I think. Um, I mean obviously you know Amazon is trying their Amazon Go store, um, but they've been super slow with it, and we'll we'll see how it works out. But I mean the idea that you know, Amazon or Google would be buying a real estate developer, you know, or or that um, there would be this such a close uh, tie up between large retailers and and these technology companies um, who own payment methods. Um, I think that that really we I mean, I can't think of anywhere else where, where this could happen. Well, no, but um, the um, Wanda said in its um, in, in its statement about this deal with Tencent and, and the others that um, this deal is is one of the world's largest single strategic investments between Internet companies and brick and mortar commercial giants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that goes to show it's not quite clear um, how how it's going to work. There's not there's not a lot of sort of evidence yet to what's going to happen. Yeah, but in but in general, I mean, like Tencent is Tencent. They're they're smart. I think they they've they've shown that uh, when they do things like this, they kind of know what they're doing. Um, and it's not it's not so surprising to me anymore for um for for Chinese tech companies or Chinese companies in general to make what seem to be um, orthogonal mm. uh, investments. Um, but if they're smart about it, they usually they they do have a strategy, and I wouldn't and 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 I I, I trust that Tencent is smart enough that they actually do have a strategy. Um, but also one thing that I do want to point out is that Sunak is also a real estate developer, um, and they were the ones that um, invested quite a bit of money in uh, in Laico as they were crashing and burning. And at the time, it was hoped that um, that this, that the investment would be enough. Uh, as we can see, it was not. Um, and so it, so it does seem that Sunak is uh, beginning to take a bit more of a of a role in some of these tech led um, investments but uh, but I think that's all the time we have for this episode um, as always if you enjoyed this episode we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes and if you're in pocket casts or in overcast you can tap on that uh, star button and it will recommend this episode to your network um, if you want to get in touch you can find our contact information at, on our website that's uh, technode.com <laughs>